we always uh, think of uh, somebody like Samson and Delilah, Deborah, or Gideon. Those are some of the characters that we've looked at at Judges. God raised them up. And many Bible stories will present good role models in Scripture, right? Well, at Judges, there really aren't too many good role models, honestly. This is what you don't uh, do. Hey, um, they're not role models at all. And the thing is, is that really they're illustrations of how deeply sin is rooted in the human heart. And that includes our own. Uh, Gideon is not presented in Judges as quite uh, an example to be uh, a model for children today. He was weak in faith. Um, he was had to be constantly reassured. And, you know, he's a, he's a picture, really, to... Uh, to me, of me. And so, the judges we meet in this book here, that's really what it reminds us of. Um, They were sinners. They were used by God. They were used by God to save Israel. Because, see, the Messiah has to come through Israel. So, no matter what, He's going to raise up people because He has to keep that nation going. You know, they almost bled into another society. Many times that's happened, or looks like it was going to happen, and he's kept it from happening. That's amazing God. Um, you know, those judges, even when they did deliver the people and the Israel, you know, they, there was certain things, or a certain thing that they could absolutely not do. And it was the deepest problem that could be, and it's called human sin. That's a deep problem. That's what the mankind's sin is. That's what you see here in Judges. And God does and use sinful men and women to accomplish His purpose, no matter what. But it will take a Messiah to solve the deep-rooted problem that's called sin. And He's the one who saves us from the guilt and power of sin. Now, we've already met Ehud, Deborah, Brack, Gideon, Jephthah, you know, a mighty warrior he was. Great characters. You could really use those as characters in a movie, couldn't you? Soap opera or something like that. <laughs> Sinful behavior, with most of them here. They're just like us, they're just like this nation. Which of Israel's judges is the most faithful and the most successful? Got one for you here. Remember Othniel? Why do we forget about him? (laughs) Othniel, oh yeah, 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 that guy, yeah. See, he was very faithful. Matter of fact, he married an Israelite. Can you imagine that? See, everybody else was, you know, they were, you know, sons of harlots or marrying from the outside of Israel. and This is the best role model that can offer here in Judges. And probably, uh, maybe Deborah, right? Um, we get to Samson, the most dramatic character in Judges. And everybody remembers him. 
He's a man who seemed trapped between his faith in God, and he did have faith because he's found in Hebrews 11. He's a believer. But he was trapped between faith in God and the lust of the flesh. It's sad. In this sense, Samson is just like us. He struggles with his sins. He hated it. I hope he hated it. If he's a man of God, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he realized that it was wrong. If, if he didn't realize it at the time, he did later on. He did pay horrible consequences. But anyway, he was uh, one who could get angry. He could be a hothead. He wanted to get whatever he wanted. He was a notorious womanizer. And God gave him the Holy Spirit. <laughs> The Holy Spirit, and yet he broke his vows. The Nazarite vow. He disobeyed the will of God quite a few times, and he suffered the consequences that uh, we see that nobody, these judges, cannot save a fallen people from guilt and the power of sin. So this is what we're going to do tonight. Chapters 12 and 13. I wanted to get into Samson, but first we have to get into chapter 12 because it's the rest of the story of Jephthah. And you remember Jephthah? Is he a believer? Yeah, he's found in Hebrews 11. Also, mighty man of, I guess you could say, uh, being a warrior. And he led the people into victory. It was over the Ammonites. Now, Samson is going to have to conquer the Philistines or get it started, we'll say. So, first part in chapter 12, it's the first seven verses. It's Ephraim that's going to challenge Jephthah. Ephraim is part of Israel. They are going to challenge him after he's led many of the Israelites into victory. Why don't we have a word with the Lord before we start? Lord, you are a great God. You are a holy God. You are the deliverer. The Messiah delivers us from ultimate sin, the power of it. He's broken the debt, canceled sin. And Lord, we look to you for your strength, your guidance, to have victory and to be role models that we could be looked at as people of God and we could say, come, follow me. Follow me to the ways of the Lord. Help us to be witnesses, shining witnesses, and that we can learn from these Old Testament stories. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, um, says verse 1, The man of Ephraim, the men of Ephraim were summoned and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the sons of Ammon without calling us to go with you? We'll burn your house down on you. Wow. These are his own people. Hateful individuals, aren't they? Hmm. We will burn your house down on you. Well, you know what? Sounds interesting. They're angered because they said that he didn't ask them to go to war with them. 
It's interesting. He gives uh, an explanation. He, he responds back. This is familiar. Does this, does this sound kind of familiar? Where did it happen before? Back a few chapters. Mm-hmm. In chapter 8. Same thing's going on. Happens to be Gideon. And you have Ephraim. Again, saying the same thing. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, Gideon, what is this thing you have done to us? Not calling us when you went to fight against Midian. And they contended with him vigorously. Well, God only wanted to use how many men? 300. Yeah. Didn't need these guys. Now they're mad because there he is. He's been chasing them, finishing off the war with them, you know. So Ephraim's gone crazy about they this. They don't get any spoils? Is that why they're mad? That they don't get to, I don't know. But, you know, they, they want glory out of the deal. He didn't need them. But he said to them, now Gideon is a, is a diplomat here. He pulls this off pretty good. He said that, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the cleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has given the leaders of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb into your hands. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. He said, look, you guys did a lot better than I did. You know, congratulations. And they said, oh, okay, that's cool. I'm surprised by your action. Well, <laughs> I'm jealous of you all. Man. Anyway. So here, many years later, here is uh, Jephthah with his victory over Ammon. And here we go. Same people. Their children handed on down, right? Anyway, he answers. He says, Jephthah said to them, I and my people were at great strife with the sons of Ammon when I called you. You did not deliver me from their hand. You notice when I called you, you didn't. He didn't come. Before, way before, that they had a chance to take them on. Anyway, they didn't do it. So he said, "When I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands, crossed over against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord gave them into my hand." Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? That's what they're doing. He got, they got their men together to fight him. They're on the same side. Civil war. Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim. So Jephthah and his men defeated him because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, O Gileadites. In the midst of Ephraim and in the midst of Manasseh, the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan opposite Ephraim. And it happened when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, I always like this part of the story, let me cross over. The men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? You know, they're Israelites. How are they going to tell the difference? By accents. If you're from Florida, you're going to talk different than somebody in New York, right? You're going to be able to tell that you're not from here, are you? Even though they looked alike. So, how'd they do it? Said If he said no, then they would say to him, okay, say Shibboleth. Sibboleth. Say Shibboleth. 
Sibboleth. That's all they could, that's the best they could do. Well, that just exposed who they were. So they knew that they're not Gileadites. Who are they? Ephraimites. That reminds me of Taos. We always know who's who by how they say people's last name. You know they're not from around. They're oh. they say for sluice. They say for Even sluice. And you go, okay. For sluice. Yeah, they say for sluice. Oh, like, you're not from around here. They're like, oh, that's what you said. That's the next thing you, you tell them. <laughs> you're not from here. You didn't know better. Anyway, yep. go ahead. Sorry. But he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it correctly. Then they seized him and slew him at the fords of the Jordan. Thus there fell at that time 42,000 of Ephraim. So Jephthah wins the civil war. Can you imagine people in a country fighting against each other? (laughs) There's been a civil war in this country, and there could very well be another civil war. Who knows? At any rate, I don't know if Jephthah could have done something different or did something like what um, Gideon did, but he gets angered back. You know, hey, I want to tell you, what would happen if maybe he would have done a little bit wiser? Maybe if he had done something like what Gideon had done, saying, hey, what are you talking about? Look, you look at the ones you've taken capture, and look what you guys have here. You you did much better, even though Gideon was the one who got all the credit, all the glory. But anyway, that's how it was handled. That's the final legacy of Jephthah. It's a civil war, and it's spelled out here. He got quite angry. It was a personal insult to him, and he attacked the men of Ephraim who crossed the Jordan into his territory. And so we see that he judged Israel six years. That's it, six years. And Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. So that was a short time. But he gets quite a bit of ink, doesn't he? We saw him in 11 and see him there in 12. That's nine judges now. Um, God gave the people of Israel for a brief period of peace. Israel had sinned and now God blesses again. The price of peace is very high though. And so we see three other judges. I would call them minor judges. They're given like a few verses or a paragraph. You get Ibzon. Nobody knows who these guys are. If anybody said Ibsen, would you have said, Oh, that's a Bible character. It's right out of Judges chapter 13. <laughs> uh, Ibsen of Bethlehem. That's pretty interesting. That's where Jesus was born. Judged Israel after him. He had 30 sons and guess what? 30 daughters whom he gave in marriage outside the family. And he brought in 30 daughters from outside for his sons. That's talking about unequal yoking with unbelievers, pagan people. Then Ibzan died and was buried in Bethlehem. Well, they're right there. It shows you why he shouldn't have his name in there. And how many how many kids did he have? Sixty. I think he had more than one wife. Yeah, there's no way. I hope so. So, what does God say? <laughs> Be married to one woman. He has them all over the place. Has kids everywhere. They didn't obey there. There's a, a judge. But God used him. Verse 11, Now Elon, 
Elon Musk. You know that guy? Oh, it's not oh, just Elon. The Zebulonite judged Israel after him, and he judged Israel ten years. The other guy had seven years, right? Jephthah six, Ibsen seven, Elon. What we say? Ten years. He was buried at Ajilon after he died in the land of Zebulun. And then the, the next judge, the third one here after, uh, Jephthah. Now Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Patronite, judged Israel after him. He had 40 sons. Here we go again. Wow. 40 sons. 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys. So 40 and 30 there. 70 donkeys. You know, a time of maybe peace. Kind of... Uh, uh, maybe underruling a little bit, maybe uh, humility there in a sense. He judged Israel eight years. So, you know, they're all about the same there. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, died and was buried at Pirithon, the land of Ephraim, in the hill country of the Amalekites. So, Jephthah, six years. Ibzon, ten years, at sixteen. Elon, how, how many? Ten. Ten years. Oh, ten. Uh, the other guy was so seven, seven, right? Seven plus six, thirteen, ten, twenty-three. And then the last one had how many years? Eight. Thirty-one. Thirty-one years there that they had judges. I would say it was probably somewhat peaceful. Now we get into chapter 13. You've been seeing God raising up um, judges throughout all this time. And usually it's because that the Israelites cry out, don't they? Mm-hmm. They cry out. God doesn't do anything yet. They cry out. They repent. God in His mercy delivers them, gives them a judge. What's interesting here that now... You're not going to really uh, see them cry out. But God has to move. And so without even the people crying out, He has got to do His plan. Okay. But in this 31 years, do you suppose they were not doing evil in the silo no, they Well, chapter 13, I think, shows probably what was happening. Maybe it was somewhat, it was peaceful. They weren't being raided. But, you know, and, and then, the, of course, the Philistines... Yeah, he gave them like three, four judges, I mean. Yeah. After three more judges. They, all had they were probably so-so. You see the judges, they have multiple marriages and they're out blending in with all the pagans, right? Get their kids to join right in there. Well, chapter 13, it says, boom, Then the, now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now they're just full-blown now. You know, it's real, it's really bad. So the Lord gave them in the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So now, they're not being delivered. Back in Judges 10.7, I think it is, Uh, 
the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the sons of Ammon. So, who were the two big enemies during the time of all the judges that we've been looking at in the last few chapters? The Ammonites, the Philistines. What happened to the Ammonites? Well, Jephthah defeated them. So who do you have left? Philistines. Interesting. What you have here is we have Israel's deliverance from the Ammonites and the Philistines, but there was a 40-year oppression. 40 years is a pretty good long time. Of by Philistines on the Israelites. They defeated the Ammonites, but now you have the Philistines. Now the author returns to describe that 40-year oppression. The Philistines are known as the Sea People. Live on the coast. Traders. That's where the Gaza Strip is today. And by the way, they had war back then. And they're still having war 3,000 years later. And they, if you turn on the news, how often do you hear about the Gaza Strip? I've been here all my life. The Gaza Strip, that's where they were from. And of course, David has to fight them throughout his kingly career. And a lot of his, oh, his wars were against those guys. So Samson is going to be the one to brought, be brought on to... Uh, start wreaking havoc with the Philistines. But you don't see Israel crying out to God. In fact, over that period of 40 years of oppression, we see them start to see, they kind of start living side by side with the Philistines. And in that I mean, they become comfortable living with pagans. And Philistines pretty well take over that whole southern area of Judah. And they're just dominating there. And the Israelites um, don't really care. They're comfortable living like pagans. And they're mating with their wives or their husbands. And there you go. You know that? Right. So this is why God... They don't even they don't even cry out to God now. I think this is fascinating. They don't cry out to God. Their so thinking is so past all that. They're so deluded into this whole other culture that they don't even... Total know. different way of thinking. Yeah. They've gotten away from God. They're doing evil. And now God has to cause a rift. They're not having the, <laughs> the time where they're being oppressed so much like they were by the Ammonites. The Philistines did oppress them. But, hey, it's a good life too. You know? No big deal. They're not. They're not uh, wanting to get out of the situation that they're in. And so, what what happens by the time of Samson? God creates a situation that causes a deep rift between Israel and the pagan Philistines. So, so they were tolerant of them. Isn't that now the new word? Be tolerant. Yeah. Uh-huh. Of yeah. them, and God says, "Oh no, you don't. You might be tolerant of them, but they ain't going to be tolerant of you." He's going to rough it up right. now. And he hasn't really had to do that before. Well, he has. He'd bring on the Philistines, the Ammonites, all the Canaanites against him, right? Well, but at least the people would repent. So God says, I've got to do something. And no one in Israel seems to care. But after the time of Samson, Israel is going to live in great tension 
with the Philistines. And that's what God does. He causes a ruckus because He doesn't want them to blend. What are the Christians doing today? A lot of them are just giving in to the, to the things of the world. Yeah, a lot of churches have closed, folks. They've just closed because, you know, the government tells us to quit meeting. How are the churches going to keep on going? People aren't going to be able to support it financially. They're not there. And so therefore, I think the church is going to get smaller. But honestly, that's maybe what needs to be done. Because he trims and trims. There's no money to be made there. Maybe it would be a good thing. <laughs> he could make some good things happen out of it, can't he? I really believe that's what is crying here so that in the days of Samuel, the people, when Samuel comes along, we're getting closer and closer to Samuel, the great prophet. And whenever he comes, they cry out for a king. Then having judges, they will finally want a king who will lead them into battle once again, so they can be like everybody else. Yeah, right. But right now, they're not enemies of the Philistines. God's got to get something started. They just go along with the flow. People will give up freedoms just to be able to live maybe a little bit less fearful. Although, really, that kind of governing authority is very fearful, isn't it? That kind of authority loves to put fear into people. This don't disrupt the peace. So they go along with everything. Well, that's just how I view it. They might not be so bad. So, Yahweh disrupts the peace. God sends a messenger to a barren, unnamed woman from the tribe of Dan. Israel might be comfortable living among pagans, but God says, no, it's not going to happen. Bring on Samson. And he gets it going. So, here we go. We're in 13, right? So we've, we see now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. The judges have been having their children. They have multiple wives, and their children go out and get pagan wives. We're living like the pagans. And here we go. Here's how God does it this time. He does it differently. There was a man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and had borne no children. That's significant. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren, and have borne no children. But you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore, be careful not to drink wine, or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver, begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. 
So you have an angelic announcement here of Samson. And we have the appearance of the angel of the Lord comes to it. Now we've seen this before, haven't we? Uh, angel of the Lord 6.11, you have Gideon. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was an Oprah. And he speaks to Gideon. Or Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, where you have again the angel of the Lord there, the burning bush with Moses. And there are many other occasions where you'll see that angel of the Lord. That is, I'll be bold enough to say, is the pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Himself. That's God in human flesh. So people can understand that God's speaking to them. This is a really key time here. So, by the way, Zora, it's a small village. It's between um, Judah and Dan. Uh, Jerusalem, 14 miles from there. It's right in the middle. Smack dab in, in the nation of Israel. Very hard of it there. She's a barren woman. That doesn't sound too unfamiliar. Uh, this is seemingly impossible. She's not ever going to have a child, humanly. God uses barren women to bring forth children and that accomplishes His purpose to show that, yes, this is a miracle. This is supernatural. Can you believe me now, right? So, we know that, what, Sarah was one, Hannah was one, uh, Elizabeth. So, we've seen this, how God does things in His way. And He talks about a Nazarite vow. Usually that was done by people, men, who would volunteer to do this, and it would be for a short time. He's taking a vow no strong drink, nothing from the fruit of the vine. Uh, they would uh, not cut their beards and hair. Uh, John the Baptist was one of those. He's going to do it all of his life. Samson, it's not just for like a, 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 a short period of time. I have to think, I think Paul was involved with one of those at one time. Also, so they were still carrying it on at, at that time. It's right out of the law, Numbers chapter six. If you ever want to turn there, the woman is overwhelmed by this messenger's appearance. She's very clear about what was promised. She hears that she's going to have a son, and of course, is to be raised like a Nazarite. So we're talking, you know, a very spiritual look. Usually that Nazarite vow would would tell people that uh, they're separated from uh, an ordinary kind of lifestyle. Uh, he was to live according to this vow all the days of his life, and that's something that he failed to do. At any rate, that's the visit from the angel. Now, we go into 6 through 9. Kind of interesting. I'm thinking this boy is going to be raised up by these parents here. It's going to be special. 
all the way through, you know, people that lived around them would know that, well, she was barren. She's got to be up there in years that she would have finally have a son. Otherwise, it wouldn't be too supernatural, right? He's going to be the deliverer. And he's going to wreak havoc with the Philistines. He's not going to win you know, a war and that's it for the Philistines, but he's going to wreak havoc. And so he's able to go up against these guys. God raises up people and he does it in different ways, but he raises it up in, in his own timing. I have to think, even of our own president, God, I think, worked supernaturally as he always does, giving us a little bit of rest because if we would have had four to eight more year, four years of uh, liberalism and extreme socialism and such, we would probably be done in by now. But God, in His timing, you know, He's always perfect. And He brings, He raises up a man who seemed pretty rough on the edges in the way that He talked. But He's a guy that Christians and Republicans aren't really too familiar with. They've never had anybody like that. But they elect Him. And He's the only guy that I know of that can play hardball with these guys because no other leaders that we ever had, maybe maybe somebody like Reagan, possibly, could actually take a pounding and a beating like he does and yet come out on top. Well, and he beat them. Too. Huh? Reagan was not that's afraid right. too. Yeah, that's right. He was. Yeah. And he wasn't afraid. So I hold him in high esteem. I really do. And those were some of the best years this country, I think, has ever had. And we're still, you know, blessed by it because of what was that that country, our country, could have been destroyed back then. It was close to it, and that's where we started getting involved with uh, other nations from uh, Islam and Iran and Iraq and all of that stuff really started happening then. Uh, but you look at that history and you think, you know, God took a man kind of rough on the edges. With the mouth, maybe, but I'll tell you what, there had to be somebody like him to be able to play hardball. And you know, he takes punches and he gets right back up and he'll give them punches. And the thing is, he knocks them down. They hate the guy. He beat them, he destroyed them. And from that very dick's day, they were going to get rid of him one way or another. So they, they haven't yet. So they think. You know what? It is. And they keep shooting themselves in the foot. What's kept him alive? God. And and if if he is assassinated, it's because, okay, God's moving something else, some other way. But if he's not, and if there's not some kind of a coup that happens, even if he wins, you know, there's going to be some other plans. But I'll tell you what. More and more, I think of it as as those guys keep shooting themselves in the foot. I think Trump is really going to win this thing, except if there is some kind of major cheating that goes on, like the mail-in ballots. But we're still back to the same thing with the people. But who can beat God? (laughs) You're still back to the the heart of this country, though. That's to me all this goes on. But the very thing we're sitting there talking about right here 
It's the heart of the people in this land. That's what I'm, I'm I mean, they're yeah, just I mean, like they're not. We have I mean, not repented. we don't. Yeah, yeah there's no. Uh, I don't have much. I don't have any hope in the people in this we land that they have even exactly common sense. But you can have at least fifty percent of the people in this country actually be for the things that are opposite of what you would think would be, whether it be for a, a good life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just simple things like that, and you know they want to. And I think this is an eye opener for Christians for the for the true church. Or yeah, I actually I think it's uh, an eye opener for the true church because I think that the true church has been pretty lazy. Yeah, I think we've got the best chance that we've ever had since we've since we've lived here of being able to take the gospel. And I'll tell you what, there's going to be people that's going to be needing truth. And I'm not saying we're going to make any difference to the Black Lives Matter or any of those people. There's going to be people wanting truth. They already are. Well, and and there's a rededication of people that love the Lord. They're opening their eyes and they're seeing. Absolutely. I just think, yeah. you know, God's just given us a little candle. That's right. Know? Uh, the church, uh, uh, MacArthur's church, yep. they keep getting threatened, yep. but they keep and getting the more and more people. They had, I don't know, seven, eight thousand people at their church last week, and people go. don't have any other churches to go to because they're shut down. So they come there, <laughs> and they hear the word of God, probably <laughs> preached for the first time, first time and so therefore, hey, who knows? Maybe we need to pray, say, God. You bring the people who want to come to church and give them, give their names to us or show them who they are. At least let us bring the contact and bring them here. We'll give them the word. There's nothing else we can give them. There's nothing else. that is. But this is what they need. And so, the smaller and smaller we get, I think he's going to trim it down. We can't get trimmed down too much more. But I'm telling you. I see something really good. The more I thought of about this, I was starting to get really depressed. Say, you know, but at the same time, I don't because I know who wins. You, you guys are in the same yeah. position, do you? You hate to see what's going on, but yet you do know that God is in absolute control. I have nothing but positive news for us because you look at this this judges thing. This is what was happening back then. Same kind of well, stuff. They're saying now, like a lot of the kids that are now seventeen and eighteen years old. They've been entrenched with all this, and they want something different. And they're, they're saying that's why we need to speak out to those kids, because they have no substance of anything in their life. They have no hope, that, yeah, well, and, and they the, need hope. The yeah. unrepentant nation, is, the nation is not going to repent. Right. We are not going to generations the Lord and those yeah. border those people that were all in those churches that were just going to church. They are even more righteous than they were before. And they're not going to repent. They just—they just—they're so much better than all those hooligans out there in the street. You know what I'm saying? It's just really frustrating. But they're not going to repent. It's not going to happen. Oh, so much. What there could be a revival? Oh, there will be. Scripture says there will be a great revival. But we, uh, yeah, but the kind of revival that might happen, it might might not be those kind of huge numbers. A revival well, is what so, happens yeah, in the heart. Exactly. And that's what we want like to see. What I was hearing today, there, like, there might be generations of those that are 15, 16, and 17-year-old kids because they've seen all this. They know it doesn't work. They know they're empty on the inside and they're looking for something different. 
Well, this is what God was doing at this time. He was bringing up somebody who's rough on the edges, but He needed somebody like that to go right up against them because He wasn't afraid of them at all. Matter of fact, He won against them. And He really set, set them back. But God used this guy. He's a man of faith. But yet at the same time, He did some really bad stuff, stupid stuff, disobedience. But God still used him. And I'm not giving that credence to say, hey, listen, you can do whatever you want as a Christian, but as long as you you know, you know, say you're a believer, you're okay. I'm not saying that at all. But we know that God this time... No, but that's true. But then you better be ready for the consequences. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean... And he you know, did God pay dearly, didn't he? To do whatever we think Eventually, it will catch up with you. Well, it's kind of like called like the man of war kind of idea, and that's kind of where I put Trump. Trump has a natural thing; he just loves to scrap it with people. He just thinks that's just what brings him great. They've really? never had anything like that for somebody to actually challenge and them you, like I say, we and about give Alex. right back only a lot more than what they and give. And they just keep getting more matter. <laughs> you got to like it. you got to like it and in a way. They're not beating him down. He looks as good today as he did yeah. when he did. Matter of fact, he's felt like got his I've hair never colored. seen a president yeah. survive <laughs> four years and still look as good And to stand him. for Christians. you got a vice president who's a deep... <laughs> Deep Christians, so you, you know, and he's been taught a lot, a lot of things about God. So, in light of that, I think it's interesting that he would raise up somebody like him to do what's happening at this time. And so the Philistines, really, the people are blending right in with them, going right with it. And most of the people are sucking right up to the Black Lives Matter. Churches, there's a Christian church right up here, and they were talking about you know the Black Lives Matter in a favorable way, and that maybe we need to pay some reparations to them. Oh, Isn't that sickening? How much is that happening across the nation? Dolly Quite Parton. much. Dolly Parton came out in favor of Black Lives Matter. Oh, she's supporting money into it. They lost their wife. Has no clue of what's oh, going on. Right. No clue. Well, anyway, let's get on. Here we go. Then the woman came, told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me. Somebody that was more than anybody she had ever seen. And his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I didn't ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. So we don't know where he's from. We don't know his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive, give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So, there we go. She tells him, Manoah says, I want to see him. I want to know what he says. So Manoah entreated the Lord. So he goes to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again, that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again. Well, that's neat. To the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, 
Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he was gone. No. New version. <laughs> and he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Oh, I like that. Don't you? I am. Manoah said, Now, when your words come to pass, what shall you be the boy's mode? What shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? I mean, what are we supposed to expect? What what do we do? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine, or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all I commanded. Okay, so how come he how come he's saying or eat any unclean thing? They were just going right along with all of that. Yeah, she's blending right in, and and of course she's going to be carrying the baby. She can't have any strong drink, right? He's never to have anything from the fruit of the vine. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, and we know that they always tell women not to drink alcohol in right. their pregnancy, right? Right. Certain things you shouldn't. Uh, so, but here, this vow is is even started with with her doing it. Well, I mean, so they are before, set apart this people. Is before, yeah. This is before the baby. She's even the baby's even there, so she needs to start practicing that. So, yeah. Well, apparently they were, you know, knew what's going on with that man. People, because I mean, he prays here. So yeah. apparently they were... He spoke to God directly. But I'm thinking she was, she was eating the same stuff the Philistines were eating. Or just that eating was, whatever's available. Right? You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, but... I mean, the but Jews had funny. their own little yeah. you know, menu. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That, and, that, and that's funny. Apparently not. Apparently they were so integrated with Yeah, that's what I'm and that, thinking. That's what I was finding interesting, that she knew what those those unclean animals and all uh-huh. that was when he said uh-huh. there. So I was like, okay, we won't do that anymore. You know? Right. Yeah, so they still under- remembered those so dietary laws. They knew what was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No unclean thing. Right, so be separate is what the idea is. Separate from the pagan way of living, which is what the whole law was all about. And this goes one step further. It's like it's like priests are set apart to go one step further than the people. They weren't to be serving the people and being you know drinking wine. Now they were never to be drunk, obviously, but. There's always extra steps, and here you have the Nazarites. So that's how much he was to be set apart. Get away from that Philistine pagan lifestyle. Change your lifestyle. Christians, be separate from the world. Don't do, don't talk the way that they do. Don't act like the way that they do. Be separate. Do the things that I tell you, right? So Manoah in verse 15 said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. So that's what it's going to be. He says, I'm not going to, to eat your food. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come to pass... We may honor you. That's interesting. I think Manoah here is kind of fishing for the name. The angel's willing to be detained, but he's not willing to eat. 
And perhaps, maybe I think Manoah is perplexed by this, he asked the messenger to reveal his name. And you can get a lot by people's names, their character, right? And he's likely fishing to see if he's really kind of telling the truth about the birth of a son here. I mean, you know, he's still wondering, okay, this is quite a man of God here. This is really different. But how do I know? I mean, you know, look, she's a woman of age, right? Somehow. But she's a woman. Come yeah. on, let's just be straight. Yeah. Yeah. So the angel refuses the food. He refuses Manoah's request to, you know, to learn his name. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Right? So here we go. Uh, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What's your name? Verse 18. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it as wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, offered it on the rock to the Lord, and he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. What was his wonder? What came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. He's there. He's in the flame. He's gone. And it's just like last Sunday when we had Jesus, you know, like whenever He would appear and then, you know, He would be gone. He was with the Emmaus disciples. He had been there talking with them for the long walk and then they had the meal together kind of like, like a Lord's Supper in a way, you know. And then... Disappeared. He's gone. When they realized who He was. <laughs> so, same here. Uh, he's in the flames and He's out of there. That's quite the wonders, isn't it? All of it is, but... So it says, Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die, for we have seen God. Well, uh, fear now comes in. And it always does when people see God. They just saw God in this way. And it's interesting how the woman responds to this, though. I think it's really fascinating. Well, and the verse, verse before that, they fell on their faces to the ground. Yeah. Good, Good response. Yeah. Uh-uh. And this is always the response to seeing God. Which is right. And so we have a little bit of worship there. You have a little bit of fear. A little reverence, I'm sure. I think but, it's just um, blowing. That's what happens. <laughs> Look at his wife. His wife said to him, "If the Lord had desired to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would He have shown us all these things, nor would He have let us hear things like this at the time." Amen. You know what? She offers comfort and wisdom coming from the wife to Manoah. She's saying godly things here. She has interpreted things rightly. Hey, listen. If he would have wanted to kill us, he would have already done it. Why would he show himself and do this now? It says like, you know, we've heard these things. And then Samson is born. The woman gave birth to a son named of Samson. Interesting. Samson is a pagan name. Say, it's not a Jewish name. They didn't tell him though what to name him. No, they didn't. It's just a you know common or a, you know a good name to to have. It sounded good. So there it is. He's Samson. 
And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. God had everything to do with this, didn't He? He separates them apart. And nobody's been crying out for the Lord. He just comes. Does this. Here's Samson. The Lord blesses him. And the Spirit of the Lord, and this tells a lot, doesn't it? Began to stir him in Mahana Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So he grew up in the things of the Lord. He was blessed. And the Lord's Spirit was in him. It moved him to do what he did. So I'm sure that they studied the truth of God, learned about that, and yeah, he's being homeschooled. He's being homeschooled. Can you imagine? She probably he probably had to go out there and do some dusting. No, but don't do the haircut. Yours is prettier, dear. Yours is prettier. He's <laughs> different, isn't he? He is different. And that's what God starts to do. And it's amazing what a man who is like who he is can do, though, with the Spirit of God. And the Word of God had been spoken to the people, the promises there. And I'm sure that that changed their lives forever. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Change Samson, but the thing is, is that there it is. It's uh, always a war against sin, isn't it? Well, it didn't change Samson. It changed the parents. Well, Samson didn't see the angel of God. Yeah, it changed the parents. It didn't change Samson. Samson well, was just given. He was given something. I mean, he, he when the Spirit of the Lord comes yeah. into somebody, they are changed. Yeah, and he's a believer. He's found in Hebrews 11, despite all the things that... We go, hmm. Isn't it but, great that God gives us this information about these people? I personally feel so much better about myself. <laughs> I do. I screw up so bad. Well, He wired us, didn't He? Yes. Every little makes every one of us special. We're all different from each other, but yet we believe in the same things. We think the same way if we believe in the Word of God. And the Spirit of God is in us, but yet He uses little different talents and different, you know, different things about us to live our lives and to make an impact on this world. Samson actually did. He he started to make other people, the Israelites, separated from the Philistines because he wreaks havoc amongst them. Causing trouble. Get that? Isn't that amazing? Philistines hate them again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. He was a pot yeah. and all that. Yeah. And so they, they get persecution out of the deal from <laughs> here on out. Thanks, through Samson, through yeah. David. Yeah. Till David yeah. conquers them because he's representative of the king of kings. And that's why his son, who was Solomon, had a time of peace like nobody else did. And he had everything Anything that he wanted was there. He was the wise one who didn't come out so wise for quite a period. But it was all a time of peace. No war. He inherited what David 
brought forth, they had defeated the Philistines. And and Solomon lived a good life. And then it was so good that he started blending in with all the other people again and taking in hundreds of wives and concubines and a lot of other children. And he did just what the people did in Judges. And he had it so good. That part about wisdom. God... I can have anything that I want. But give me wisdom. <laughs> anyway, that's how it goes. And without the mercy and grace, love of God, we would be lost people out there doing the same thing that those lost people are doing. Well, we hang out in the culture. Yeah, we have been influenced 